It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world famous award winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews, all the back episodes, and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. If you're wondering what to check out this weekend, hopefully you caught me on my weekly Let's Talk Live DC segment earlier today. If not, be sure to visit PictureLockShow.com or follow me on Instagram at PictureLockShow to see that. I post it to Instagram every Friday shortly thereafter. This weekend we have Men in Black International, Shaft, and 5B hitting theaters, and I gave my thoughts on those films. Be sure to check out PictureLockShow.com for the full movie review. This week on the show, I have writer, director, producer Ann Wells on to talk about her film, An Accidental Zombie Named Ted. And I'll also count down some of my favorite Father's Day films in which the father's presence or lack thereof is crucial to it in honor of Father's Day this weekend. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hey, everybody. This is Rama Mosley, writer, director, and producer of Tattered Demillion, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and in the film An Accidental Zombie Named Ted, Ted knows he's not a zombie. He just picked up a skin thing on his vacay in the Caribbean, but his hilariously kooky family is not convinced, especially after he brings home a hot vampire he met in group therapy. Sounds pretty interesting, right? <laughs> I have the film's writer, director, producer on the line with me, Ann Wells. And welcome back to Picture Lock. It's been a minute. Yes, it has. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, folks, you'll definitely have to dig in the archives. Anne has been on, a, I think, a couple of episodes, a women in film panel. Um, but since it's been a minute, and uh, let's reintroduce you to the audience. First question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, my first memory of falling in love with film was back in the 70s. Um, I was living overseas. I was actually living in Yemen um, as a kid. And I, uh, and so it was very rare for us to get movies. You know, the, the American embassy would get, you know, I don't know how often it was that the, a movie would come to town. And it was a really big deal. And Rocky came. And uh, nice. I just. I, I'll never, ever forget watching it, the, just the entire experience and just being like, I just need to see that again. I just <laughs> want to watch that every day. <laughs> and um, uh, I had actually snuck out to see it. And so um, my parents learned that I'd seen it and then heard that it really wasn't necessarily so good for a 13-year-old. <laughs> and... Uh, so I was not allowed to see it again, and I think I cried myself to sleep every night for, you know, a year. Um, and then, uh, so that's my first memory. And then Star Wars, obviously, when Star Wars came out, you know, it just completely rocked my world. Um, so that's, I, I guess I would say that's when I first fell in love with film. I grew up really without TV, and so, you know... We were encouraged to play a lot and read a lot. And so we, you know, my brother and I had very active imaginations and played makeup games and wrote stories and things all the time growing up. Um, 
but to see them sort of, you know, visually like that on the big screen was really pretty magical. You know, I'm interested in seeing as once we jump into uh, Ted later, if Ted being an underdog and Rocky being an underdog, if there's some correlation. But until then, <laughs> if you could give us a little history lesson, like how did you actually get in the industry? How did you go from the girl sneaking into Rocky to uh, the woman that is now writing, directing, producing, co-editing film? Well, it was definitely a winding road. Um, so I, I wasn't, I didn't go to school for it. I didn't do, I, I, in fact, I was talked out of, was fascinated by theater um, in middle school when I first moved to the U.S. I had, was taken to, on a field trip to New York and just was amazed by the musicals that I saw. And so I was fascinated by that. But then I had that classic experience where I went and auditioned for a musical in school. And the teacher basically said, you know, maybe you should do something else. <laughs> Right. And, um, you know, which is a horrible thing to say to children. And um, <laughs> but that happened to me. So I said, you know, I set it aside and said, oh, well, obviously that's not for me, you know. Um, and then uh, so I went on, I got uh, my undergrad degree in studio art and my master's in art therapy. Um, so I was basically just interested in, you know, human beings and human behavior and uh, being a therapist and which I was and then um, I was a stay-at-home mom for a while and at one point I was watching uh, I was watching Jerry Maguire um, at a time in my life when I was just kind of thinking like what do I want to do next and I happened to be living in San Diego and um, I had this weird experience of like seeing Renee Zellweger's character lose her child in the airport and not be that worried about it, like be more frustrated than worried, which at the time I, you know, I didn't know anything about acting choices or directing choices or anything else. All I knew was I was a mom of little boys, and I was like, well, that woman's no, I've never had children, <laughs> right. So then I was like, wow, that's weird. Maybe they don't have enough moms in Hollywood. Like, they have, maybe they couldn't find, you know, a real mother to play that role, which is so funny now as a filmmaker that, you know, that isn't how it works at all. But, um, you know, at the time, that was the thought that went through my mind. And then I wondered if I could do it. And so I went to an acting class and I started immediately booking jobs. And long story short, I got divorced took my kids, moved to L.A., um, and was pursuing a, a career as an actress for a while. And I was doing lots of stuff, but I hated the the business end of it. Like, I hated the fact that I had to wait for other people to tell me what to do. I had no control over my own career. So in 2004, I thought, well, I'll just make my own movies. I'll just start making my own movies for myself to act in, you know, with the idea being that, like, I'll make them and, you know, write roles that I want to play. Right. So I did that. I started doing that and uh, ended up just falling in love with being behind the camera. And eventually, over time, I just sort of realized I had to choose between directing and acting, you know, because I couldn't do either one as well if I was doing both. 
um, especially when you're on your own doing indie stuff, you know, you're having to do every single thing, you know, all the producing, all the editing, all the directing, all the everything. <laughs> and so if you're also trying to act in your movie, it's really hard to lose yourself in character, you know, and not right. have, not be thinking about the big picture. So at some point along the way, I just thought, well, you know what? I don't need to do the acting part. I love directing. So, so you jumped into know. it. And yeah. so, so uh, if we could, folks, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer, director, producer of a, an accidental zombie named Ted and Wells. And let's go ahead and jump into an accidental zombie named Ted. Uh, if you could first just give the audience a summary of what the film is all about. It's basically about a guy named Ted, um, kind of an average guy. Um, who's in denial about the fact that he's been turned into a zombie while on vacation. So he comes back from vacation not feeling so good and having some skin issues and things, but totally feeling like, well, you know, skin issues run in my family. I've just picked up something on the airplane. You know, I don't know. But it turned out that when he was on vacation, he actually did this little touristy voodoo ritual thing that went wrong accidentally. And so they they literally accidentally turned him into a zombie without meaning to. And, you know, but he comes back, you know, as a zombie and um, he goes to therapy, as you do. Um, and he uh, sort of has to come to terms with, you know, this new reality. And he, um, you know, I would say the bottom line is that it's sort of about accepting who you are and, you know, uh, all of us kind of accepting each other for our differences and, and being who we are. His family is totally nutty and crazy and, um, you know, like everybody's is, you know, everybody's is their own version of, of crazy. Right. Um that tends to be a theme in my movies, um, that and therapy, just because I used to be a therapist. So I feel like I can make fun of it. Yeah. So um, zombies, you know, obviously Walking Dead. I mean, zombie, it, it had this um, kind of resurgence, I guess, uh, <laughs> definitely in the last decade. Uh, why put a situational comedy and in, in kind of surrounding it with zombies and monsters, which you actually have other like hilarious characters like uh, Wolf mm -hmm. with alopecia and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, hard to, to explain why, except that I guess it's a, the, the underlying idea of like, um, accepting, you know, ourselves, you know, how, like, wh whenever I'm, when I'm writing, I try to take things to the furthest place that I can go with them. So I go, well, you know, okay, so I'm different because my nose is big, or I'm different because, you know, I have this one thing. Well, what's, you know, so what's bigger than that? Bigger than that is if you were a monster, you know, if you're, if you're something that is, like, very obvious on the outside, you know, that's different and um, that would potentially be horrifying or scary or shocking to, to others that, that see it. So most of us have our uniquenesses, our differences, and, and those, are, those tend to be inside and, you know, you don't necessarily see them immediately. 
Yeah. Um, Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's it. Just, you know, just that these, these characters, you know, kind of wear their differences on the outside. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to say it's, that's kind of an interesting concept. And I like the fact that, like you said, um, you like to bring things back to therapy because I do think like we're all we all have a little bit of monster in us. Right. Um, yeah. And so just kind of like a, a, a great way to kind of talk about it. If you could, um, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap out real quick here. Uh, but you have you have a really talented cast, a lot of people that people have seen before. If you could talk briefly yeah. about your cast and then um, we'll we'll make sure people know how to find the film. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we have Naomi Grossman from American Horror Story and uh, Kane Hodder, who's uh, Jason in the Friday the 13th movies and uh, in the Hatchet movies and all of that. Um, we have Gary Anthony Williams, um, just hilarious um, uh, actor and who's just in all kinds of things. Right now he's in tons of commercials, um, but he's also Uncle Ruckus um, in the Boondocks. Um, we have Sandy McCree from The Wire and the Bobby Brown story and the New Edition story. We have Tanya Chisholm from Big Time Rush, Corinne Bukowski from The Voice. Uh, a lot of just interesting interesting people and a lot of familiar faces. Um, and also the crew. We had some really, really impressive people doing, like, special effects makeup was Greg Solomon from Seven and Hellboy. We had, um, you know, our production designer was Mark Dillon from Hellfast. We had original music done by Dan Byrne, who did the original music for uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, and... Uh, a bunch of others. We had Ruben well, Cremel. Sorry, yeah. if you, if you could <laughs> no, <laughs> if you could just let uh, folks know where they can find the film, follow you guys on social yeah. media. Okay, well we're we're all over the place. Um, we have distribution in the U.S. and Canada, and a sales agent overseas. So in the U.S., I mean, if you just go to our website. Um, which is www.anaccidentalzombienamedted.com. You'll see all the platforms where you can find us. You can find us on your TV, on your cable, um, on your in, on the Internet. We're, we're all over the place. And we'd love to have you watch the movie and give us a review if you love it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Writer, director, producer of An Accidental Zombie Named Ted, Ann Wells. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Hey, this is Ron Newcomb, founder of Mid-Atlantic Studios, and you are listening to Picture Lock. This weekend is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are listening. In honor of Father's Day, I wanted to talk about some of my favorite films in which the father's presence or lack thereof is crucial to the film. Uh, these are not necessarily in any kind of order of importance, um, but these are films that, at least for me, definitely growing up, I really enjoyed and, you know, the father played a huge role. So I'm going to just kick this off with uh, the portrayal of one of the coolest names, <laughs> I think, in cinematic uh, history, Furious Styles, played by Lawrence Fishburne in Boys in the Hood. Now, I've already pre-recorded my 4th of July special and I know that I'll talk about Boys in the Hood then, so you can look forward to me talking about that again. This definitely, this film by John Singleton, late John Singleton, uh, just does a great job of 
establishing its characters, telling the story uh, for these men and women growing up in South Central LA. And in this film, the father figure uh, plays a crucial role. You can tell that he uh, spends time with his son. You see how that nurturing uh, really helps him in his growth. And uh, I think this one scene is one of those pivotal moments in which you can see the role of a father and how fathers not only teach their own children, but they can also teach the community. And so in this scene, um, Furious is talking about gentrification and it starts off, he's just talking to Trey, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. and Ricky, played by uh, Morris Chestnut. He's just talking with them, but then suddenly the neighborhood kind of comes in. And really what, what the neighborhood represents is you have, you know, the young uh, kind of thugs, gangbangers, and then a, an older man comes up as well. So it's kind of like these different schools of thought. So let's go ahead and tune into uh, this scene right here. Why y'all take a look at that sign up there? See what it says? Cash for your home? You know what that is? Bill what are y'all, Amos and Andy? Are you stepping and he's fetching? I'm talking about the message, what it stands for. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. They bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything black. Black owned with black money. Just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folk shooting each other and selling that crack rock and Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that in here. I know every time you turn on the TV, that's what you see. Black oh, yeah. people yeah. selling the rock, right. pushing the rock, yeah. pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. It wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that But they want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves. Who is it that's dying out here on these streets every night? Y'all. Young brothers like yourselves. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? I'm gonna shoot the mother if he don't kill me first. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. You have to think, young brother, about your future. And so again, you can just see how the father plays this great role in terms of educating not only his son and his son's friend, but also the community. And I think that great fathers, great men can do that. They can educate their children, be a, a role model for their children, but then also be a role model for the community and hopefully bring about positive change. So definitely Boys in the Hood, Furious Styles is up there in terms of the fathers as we count down some of these Father's Day, uh, father's Day characters that really stand out in film. All right.
Next up on the list, uh, you know, I think fathers have to definitely teach their sons, but they also have to teach their daughters. And sometimes I think we can definitely be protective of our daughters. Uh, this next one it has a special place in my heart. My brother and I, we used to watch Ghost Dad all the time. And in this film, uh, Bill Cosby, he gets in this accident and uh, basically he kind of walks around for, I think it's like a week and he's out of his body. He's actually in a coma, but uh, he, his ghost is able to walk around. And so it's kind of funny because, you know, you can only see him when he's in the dark. And so what winds up happening um, is he's already a single father um, and he has three children, two daughters and a son. And uh, he works so hard prior to this accident um, but the accident actually helps him to be a better father and actually kind of be there for his kids in different ways and uh, this next scene it's it's better to watch but i do still want to play it it's only a minute uh and the next scene this boy calls up and he wants to speak to his daughter on the phone and he calls his daughter out of her name. And so he uses his ghost-like powers to do a little Freddy Krueger and come through the phone and talk to him. Hello. Uh, yo, is Diane there? This is Tony Ricker. Tony Ricker? Yeah, 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 that's me. What the John? Bitch on the phone? What the on the phone? The bitch hit me. I'm here though. And if you so much as call, talk to Same about dying. So help me, I'll do things to you. You the devil worse! In this scene, you know, I think sometimes, you know, a father's duty is to protect and look out for his little girl. And he does that. And even though, you know, his daughter, which you didn't get to see, she's upset because she saw that he just did that. Um, ultimately, I think that they vie for each other's love and respect and it comes out in the end. So uh, Ghost Dad, Bill Cosby, that's another throwback uh, film that I really appreciated where I think the father's presence uh, and even lack thereof, because as he's a ghost, he's like kind of not able to move around physically. Um, it's really crucial to that film. Uh, last but not least, uh, this is OG classic. Um, one of the things that I love uh, in regard to uh, father relationships is just being able to chat. And the older you get, the more you can talk about life and actually talk about uh, really important things. Um, I'm not going to say what film this is. I'm just going to go into one of the crucial scenes, and I'm sure everyone <laughs> will know what that is. I knew that Santana was going to have to go through all this. And Fredo, oh. Fredo was, oh. And I never, I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those... Big shots. 
I don't apologize. That's my life. But I thought that... But when it was your time, that... that you would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Corleone. Governor Corleone. Something. Another person of Anta. Well, this wasn't enough time, Michael. Wasn't enough time. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. Well. Now listen, whoever comes to you with this Barzini meeting, he's a traitor. Don't forget that. So, of course, you know, that is the Godfather, the great Marlon Brando playing the Godfather and Al Pacino. Uh, man, this film is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, but just the way that uh, the script is written, uh, it's great dialogue back and forth. Um, but in this scene, you know, it's it's. There's so much subtext, so much uh, layering, things that's going on, and and in so many ways, uh, you know, I think Michael is telling his father that, hey, I, I'm gonna take over the family business, and Don Corleone is is kind of giving it to him, and you know, even in, with the last line, like just telling him, whoever comes to you about this Barzini meeting is the traitor. You know, it's just this nice exchange of of wisdom, uh, knowledge, and just a conversation that you would have with your father. And so, obviously, The Godfather, uh, <laughs> it's what the movie is about. It's a, it's a big film in which, you know, the father's presence, uh, is crucial to it um so i definitely you know this weekend if you're looking for some kind of films with fathers in it um boys in the hood ghost dad the godfather there's so many more in fact i'd love for you to let me know what are some films that you think would fit in this category in which the father's presence is uh crucial to the film uh, hit me up on social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. I'd love to hear from you. You could call in and leave me a message, 202-350-1351, and let me know what is, you know, one of your favorite films in which the father's presence or lack thereof is crucial to the film. All right, once again, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guest, Ann Wells, for coming on the show. I'd love for you to call in and answer the question of the week. What is one of your favorite films in which the father's presence or lack thereof is crucial to the film? Hit me up at 202-350-1351. Look forward to playing your answers on the air next week. Subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast so you can hear the extended radio versions of the show catch unlocked episodes and the picture lock pr after show if you're a fan of alexa skills just say alexa play picture lock podcast and i'll come right up 
please feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. Listen, it's quick, it's easy, it's free, and I really appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash Picture Lock Show and subscribe. I've got my new, new movie reviews for this weekend up now, so definitely want to check that out. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by my guest, the producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S, the producer numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. I hope you stay locked on film.